So uh, now for Sancho Wars. Turn into a uh, what's the I ASR? No. Uh, what's that thing where people speak really softly and they crunch on things? People, no, no, no. I don't know. People listen to these recordings of people doing sounds, and all I can think of to call it is BDSM, but I know BDSM. it's not BDSM. <laughs> ASMR. ASMR. Yeah, yeah. 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 I had to Google it. Just how locked away from the world I've been the last few weeks. All right. Welcome back to Any Given Thursday. Um, our brief hiatus is over. Um, thank you for listening to our coverage of the World Cup. If you did so, if not, we're back with good old fashioned Europa League and Conference League content. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, since there isn't, there aren't actually games until February, um, we're going to be doing what we're going to call a little winter break thing. Um, we're going to go back to the well with some club spotlights and we're going to uh, do some special episodes, which I'm not going to spoil. Um, but just to let everybody know really quick. Um, so the Europa League does return on uh, February the 16th and the Conference League, I should say, with the uh, with the playoff knockout round thing. Um, I still leg. don't really know what to call it. I think, I, it's the, I think it's technically the knockout playoff yeah. round, but it just sounds so clunky. Yeah. And I don't know why it they did. can't just call it. And there are other, because it's confusing because there are the qualifying rounds. Can you we call playoffs sometimes? Yeah, the last round of the qualifiers is called, it's called the, the playoff playoffs. qualifying round. Yeah. yeah, they need to come up with a better name for it. I agree. Um, so basically we'll return to sort of our normal behavior um, yeah. when it comes to the week building up and after, you know, a tie. Um, but in the meantime, we've got about a month to fill. Yeah. So the first thing we're going to do is uh, our fifth club spotlight of the season. And it is going to be from me today. Ooh, and it fun. is going to be about Saint Gilloise, Royal Saint Gilloise. Ooh, fun! The other Belgium, union. yeah, yeah, the other union. We've actually covered them a bunch this year because they are in Group Europa League with Union Berlin, with Braga, mm-hmm. and with uh, Mal- Melme. Um, and they won that group. Yeah, so we'll be seeing a lot more of them hopefully mm-hmm. uh, in the coming months and talking more about them. Um, so and they're kind of an interesting unique club with a with a pretty unusual background mm-hmm. um sort of like three distinct chapters in their history okay um so we're going to get in all into that and again for those for those of you who don't know um how we do these one of us me in this case will dictate everything we know everything we've learned about a club um and the other person has not seen any of this so they're mm-hmm. coming in relatively blind yeah i mean obviously um, we're doing clubs that we cover so mm-hmm. we, we know, know a little bit a decent amount about them currently yeah. but a lot of times like i don't know much about the history mm-hmm. of union central law other sure. than what i've been watching the game been like i wonder when the last time this team was in i wonder what the history of central was yeah. yeah yeah it's yeah. a bit of a pitch. um um i will say off the top uh some of my sources today so i don't plagiarize anybody willing unwillingly okay uh obviously wikipedia the, the og yeah. transfer marked bot mob um a sky sports article um called uh Union Saint Gilles chasing Belgian title after 48 years, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. A uh an analyst article um called Brighton's Brussels Blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um a uh total football analysis article. Ooh, I love total football analysis. Another total football analysis article. If you need US Saint Gilles analyzing their great start to the Belgian Pro League and an athletic article uh, called Union Saint Gilles, the Belgian club, two Englishmen. Um, what's the rest of the title? Wait, is that from like the Athletic? Yeah, yeah, I think I read Belgian that one. Belgian club, the two Englishmen took to the Champions League. Yeah, I, I read that one over the summer. Uh, I think you sent my... it to me. Oh yeah, yeah. This is some of my sources. Uh, but let's start with uh, where they play, who they are. They uh, where do they play? Uh, they play in Brussels, in the the municipality of Saint Gilles, Giles, G I L L E S. Do you speak French? I don't speak French. Saint Gilles. Saint Gilles. I took um, French for twelve years. No, I've no and idea. And I do not speak French. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same as Spanish. Um, anyway, it's one of nineteen municipalities in Brussels. Obviously, Belgium's capital. There's about fifty thousand residents in that particular municipality, mm-hmm. making it sort of medium small. Yeah. Um, sure. It's kind of strange the way municipalities work in Brussels, but a weird, weird city. Uh, Brussels is pretty big by itself, about yeah. two million living in the greater metro. 
Uh, obviously, that makes it the largest metro in the country because it's a tiny country. Um, but technically, the city population is only like 100,000 plus because it's some stupid like zone, zonal, zoning. Oh, uh, is it like the London thing where yeah. there's like the city of London yeah, and then yeah. greater London? Yeah, so you have and to London. look up like a million things. It's really yeah. it's annoying you know, to I've, look up. I went to Brussels uh-huh. and no offense to the people of Brussels. But young David had a awful time. We just got in over a real. We just landed from a really long flight. Uh-huh. You know, we had a pretty long layover, so we went in. It was like six, seven hours, and it was raining the whole time. I don't sleep when I fly. Did or, you have any chocolate? I uh, don't remember. So What's you know, point, dude? my mom's little health nut thing probably cost uh, me one of the yeah, good experiences. Yeah, yeah. So I was just miserable mood, and it's yeah, yeah not yeah. high on my list of favorite days for sure. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So uh tech yeah technically city as a metro is about two million about 50k in the municipality of saint Jean. but for, for reference for people who don't still not grasping the geography here Anderlecht is another of brussels municipalities obviously arguably the biggest club probably inarguably the biggest club in belgium in terms yeah. of support and history is Anderlecht. Mm-hmm. so there's a lot of uh a lot of clubs named for regions if you're confused why there's no fc brussels um, yeah, but yeah, so that'll come into play later. So the municipality itself is known for indie galleries, Art Nouveau buildings, uh, including the Orta Museum, the Midi Market, and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually borders the municipality of Anderlecht. Oh, okay. Is there a decent rivalry between the two clubs? Then we're or? gonna get we're gonna get into oh, that get later. Into that. Let's instead stay with Saint Jean itself uh, and getting to its founding and history. Uh, it's an old club, 1897. Mm. It was old for a for a oh, for yeah. a Belgian team for sure. Um, they're a bit of a dominant force early in their in their in their tenure. They won the first title in 1904, and then yeah. they won in 1905, 1906, 1907, mm-hmm. 1909, 1910, 1913, and they didn't win for ten years. And they had another spell, and they won in 23, 33, 34, and 35. So it's two three peats in there, in the first thirty years, pretty good. Um, that that totals eleven titles, and that actually still makes them Belgium's third most successful <laughs> club in the top flight. Um, they played sixty consecutive undefeated games between nineteen thirty three and thirty five. The real Invincibles. Um, it's the longest streak in Belgian football history to this day. Um, that's why it was such a big deal last year when they uh, entered the championship playoff round of the Belgian league first tier atop the league. Cause again, they had not won a title since 1935. Um, they were eventually beaten to glory by uh, club Brugge, but we'll get back to that also. Um, so not only had they not won since 1935, they have not even been in the first division for decades. Mm. They were relegated to the second tier for the first time in 63 first time ever. They appeared back in the first tier for the last time in, in what would be almost 50 years in 1972. Wow. In 1980, they fell all the way to what I think was the fourth tier, but it's a little hard to tell which is which. Yeah. Um, so they were completely cut adrift, shells of their former selves. Um, and after that point, they were in the wilderness for the next 40 to 45 years. Just like playing out in the trees? Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't Brussels a pretty metropolitan? You know, area? it's funny you, you can... say that. We're going to get to their stadium. It does border a lot of trees. Wow. Um, and that remained the case until uh, rich ass British person and Brighton Hove Albion order, owner Tony Bloom purchased the club in 2018. Mm. But more on that later. Um, let's talk about their European record until this last year. Uh, so before falling from grace, they appeared in five editions of what was called the Intercities Fairs Cup. Right, it's a predecessor of the UEL or Europa Cup or whatever you want to call it. Um, they appeared in five of those between '58 and '65. Mm-hmm. They reached a semifinal against Birmingham City in 1960, which they lost. Um, those are both cities. Yeah. So they also appeared uh, in. Uh, they appeared in. I think it was the second round or the first. No, it was the first round. They lost to Juve 2-0 on aggregate and over two legs. That's not bad. So, you know, they have famous uh, encounters. And this was the 60s, right? This was the 60s. Okay. 65, 64, yeah, so Juve, 65. You know, that's a pretty good team to be mm-hmm. only losing 2 nothing to in the 60s. Yeah. And that was their last appearance in Europe until last, this year, which ah, we'll circle wow. back to. Uh, they played in the Joseph Marion Stadium, opened in 1919. It's just south of the municipality of St. Giles. Giles. 
um, and it, technically in the municipality of Forest. It holds about ninety four hundred people. Right. That's what they say. That's, that's the name of the municipality. Huh? It's not just the forest. Yeah. Okay. Look up Forest Municipality Brussels. There you go. He's typing, guys. He's typing. Yeah. This is riveting stuff. He's typing. I'm David Googling water and he can't type. watch. Wow, that's fun. Mm -hmm. That's a great name. Yeah, it is. Um, and fit fitting of its name, you might want to look up the stadium too. Mm -hmm. It actually borders a, like a forest ground mm -hmm. or like park ground. Okay. So it's it's pretty cool looking stadium actually. Again, it's only ninety four hundred. It's pretty small. Um, it and it has sort of a famous history. Um, I it you might get a kick out of this, David. Its first ever match was hosted to commemorate uh was commemorated in its opening i should say it was a friendly between saint joe's and can you guess the club if you said i would get kicked out of it i'm gonna guess milan it's milan let's go <laughs> first milan first ever team to play i'm suddenly a union saint joe's fan yeah. <laughs> uh it hosted matches for the 1920 olympics okay. also played host to spain's just... first ever international match Wow. In 1926, it was given a re re renovation that included an Art Deco facade, which still exists in the front of the ground. <laughs> it was removed, or excuse me, not removed. It was renovated again after Bloom took over um, in the in within the last six, seven years, mm -hmm. the last five years, I should say. Bring it up to date a bit. It's kind of a beauty. It's kind of a throwback. Anyone who laments the loss of like those old feeling European grounds, I think would enjoy it. It fits seamlessly into the neighborhood. It's one of those. But yeah, it is bordered by woods on two sides. Oh, that's fun. You can look at the picture. Yeah, there. see the image right Everybody there. Everybody should be looking this up, listening to this right now. Yeah, that's it's fun. Pretty that's pretty real cool. forests. It is real forest, just like the municipality says. It's pretty cool. Unfortunately, it doesn't meet UEFA requirements yet. So they haven't been able to play mm -hmm. there for their U their Europa League matches. Okay. Which is too bad. They have to play it in I forget the nearby stadium they play in, but um yeah. it's too bad because it's like if you watch game highlights there, it feels like almost like you know like smaller sides in greece play in they look yeah. like they're from you know they're playing in like a crumbling ruin of a stadium from like the fourth century bc mm -hmm. that's kind of what it feels like uh just to look at um just to watch highlights of them kind of cool yeah so it's the kind of place i'd their... love to have season tickets to you know oh yeah they play yeah. the europa league games at uh it's oh Louvain mm -hmm. is where they play them i didn't it's the king power stadium mm -hmm. not the same not the one in leicester yeah, they fly all the way to Leicester yeah. to play there. <laughs> but yeah, it's Louvain is the uh, owner of the stadium. Okay. I think that's how you pronounce it. It could be Louvain. I don't know. I don't want to offend either it. the Dutch or the French speaker. <laughs> and I probably just offended both of them. So uh, their team colors are blue and yellow. Mm -hmm. that, home, I knew, that I knew yeah. coming into this. Their home look right now is a yellow base on the shirt, blue shorts, yellow socks. Mm -hmm. It's great. Just like Torquay, my famous my famous football manager save. Yeah. Um. We're bravely fighting against relegation right now. Okay. But maybe we'll come and talk about that on a special episode. Oh god. Our journey. <laughs> my journey with Torquay United. Um, but let's get to the let's get to the real meat of its modern history, mm. the club, which is its post-2018 takeover from Brighton chairman Tony Bloom and of sports betting wealth. Um of course. He took over majority shareholding of the club with a minority stake going to his friend and colleague, uh Alex Muzio. Alex uh, ended up being the one who sort of took day-by-day -day ownership of St. Joe's, while Bloom remained mainly focused on Brighton, um, although obviously contributing financial uh, might. At the time, they were sort of a comfortable second-tier side, not really threatening promotion that much. Um, but uh, Bloom, a little background on him first, though. Um, he took over Brighton, his boyhood club, 2009, led them back into the top flight uh, by 2016-17 for the first time in 34 years. They were in League that's One gross. as recently as 2009. Uh, he did so with you know his commitment to data and progressive recruitment and all that um, that we're well aware of now. Um, so I'm going to read you a quote out loud. This is real journalism right I... here. This is Brighton, this quote is from so real journalism. I hate Brighton, so this is really yeah. You wish me. you wish you were palace with Brighton. I would do. The Athletics Ed Malin wrote this article that I brought up earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, my sources. Uh, this is a quote. Um, so the thought was to buy a club in a country that, first of all, was friendly to foreign investment, and where there was a real possibility of potentially challenging for a title. So when Saint Joe's became available, it was a real opportunity to awaken a sleeping giant. 
with the big bonus of being only two hours from London, this is Alex Muzio, the um, yeah. Bloom Partners, speaking to Ed Malin at the Athletic. Um, the difference of the ownership, like I said, is Bloom doesn't actually manage things on the day-to-day. It's more of Muzio. Um, and according to them, USG does not actually function as a feeder club, unlike, you know, other other ownership it's, groups that have multiple um, city plus city yeah you know. Brentford yeah <laughs> yeah sort of yeah um but to get their games players I'm not I'm not so sure this is true but apparently they claim they're very separately run organizations and very with very different goals I might believe that but I don't buy that they don't share players because well, I, I'm have gonna a get, player on loan from Brighton yeah I'm gonna so. get to I'm gonna get to more of that later um so anyway Muzio's kind of in charge they got promoted to the first tier in 2021 behind 17 goals from Denny's Undav, who is now a Brighton player. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, uh, they started their surface season back in the top flight over four, in order for 40 years at Anderlecht, Belgium's most popular and decorated club. They beat them 3-1. Woo, beat the shit out of them. Um, again, neighbors in the city. Then they played Club Brugge, the side that ended up going to win the title that year. Were unlucky in a 1-0 loss. Very narrow, unlucky one nil loss. So it shows up. Maybe the people were like, "Man, are they going to be fighting against relegation?" Mm. No, sir. They belong. Come the turn of the new year, they were in first place in the division, yeah. absolutely flying. They'd conceded the fewest goals. They'd scored the most, according to that Ed Malin piece again. Uh, their in-demand players did the rare thing of actually committing to staying through the season mm-hmm. um, and seeing out the project. That included Undav, who was leading the Golden Boots race and I think won it in the end. Yeah. Um, Brighton did seal a future move that January, but with only with a loan back agreement agreed through the rest of the season. So we could see it out. Yeah. Um, at one point there were nine points clear at the top. They couldn't hold the gap though, but not because their form dropped. They actually got more points in the season's second half than the first, but Brugge decided to win every fucking game for the rest of the season. Yeah. So they did hold off Brugge though. Good Brugge side, though. It was an insane Brugge side. And that was after, I'm not gonna remember the name of the coaches, but one coach bailed. Mm-hmm. Um, in January, yes, another coach took over and then led them to like on an invincible streak. Yeah, um, was um the one who and then he bounced to Benfica, I think. Yeah, no, to Ajax. I'm yeah, sorry, because he's he, bald. Yeah, he bounced to Ajax yeah. at the end of the season. And you know, this is an aside, but I remember talking to you and I was saying the guy who left over the summer to go to Ajax. I remember saying he's not going to succeed at Ajax. You can't just hire bald men. <laughs> that can't be your only criteria. I mean, they and he's not failed yet. He hasn't the failed fans yet. are so unhappy with him. Well, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well they, was, they, um, I did see that they they went four winless games in the Eredivisie for the first time in like yeah. centuries. It was uh, Clement. <laughs> yeah. Was Clement. He went to Monaco. Uh-huh. I can kind of understand yeah, yeah. that. But they were but better after a, he left. So. As a player, yeah. I can't imagine the feeling where you all, you know, stand up, you make this commitment, right? And you say we're not going to sign for another club, and then at the start of January, your manager's like, "All right, bye." I guess. I mean, like, that's not them though. That's that's Brugge. Oh, sorry. We're talking about Brugge. That's yeah, Brugge. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was no, like, this is. There is a little yeah. bit of coaching drama that we get to at okay. the end of the season, but no, they're all they're all in it together here, which is yeah. a nice, which okay. is a nice good, little good, thing. Good. Sorry, I had my so, since I was doing the looking up uh-huh. at the time. It was I yeah, yeah, yeah. Essential. Yeah. Uh, so it's important for people to know that that basically they didn't blow it. Mm-hmm. They were actually five points clear at the top of the table by the end of the regular season. Mm-hmm. And now this is the point where people say regular season. What are you talking about? It's European football. Now this is the point where we take a brief intermission and I discuss the Belgian playoff system. It's unfortunate, <laughs> but we have to do it. Yeah. So basically my my thesis here is that the Belgian league is confusing and weird. Um, wow, that's a great thesis. <laughs> there are, now I'm going to prove it. There are 18 teams in the flat flight, right? Pretty normal. They all play each other twice. Mm-hmm. Super normal. That's 34 matches played. Same as the Bundesliga, That's where they nice. just end the season after playing those 34 games. It's going to be the case next year in League One. They're just going to end the season after 34 games. So that's all good, right? St. Joe's win the league. Mm-hmm. Wrong. Whoa. <laughs> Instead, after 34 games played, teams are broken into playoff groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first group, that's the championship group. Okay. Teams have finished one through four in the table. So they line up. All of their points are halved. Mm, that sounds fair. So <laughs> the regular season total is an odd number. The halved total is rounded up okay. to the nearest integer. Oh, no. I know Points gained by rounding up are deducted in case teams are level okay. on points. That sounds fair. Yeah, it's weird, but it's, I guess. So in the case well, of Central like, Laws last yeah. season, they finished regular season with 77 points, right? Mm-hmm. Half that, 38.5. 
39 points. Okay. Um, Bruga, meanwhile, had 72, so they have 36. So, and you still get three points and one point for a win and a draw. Yeah. So basically, they've doubled their chances of catching yeah. St. Joe's, which is weird, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so they're three points instead of five points mm-hmm. away. Um, so Union win their opener in the playoff round here against Anderlecht. Again, 3-1, beating them for the third time in three attempts at that point of the season. Um, they draw Nilna with Antwerp. Next up, Brugge, back-to-back, third and fourth of the six-game run. Mm-hmm. They're three points ahead. Um, so it's kind of all to play for here. This is like the moment that decides yeah. the season. Brugge sees out a tense 2-0 result, leveling, leveling them on points, jumping them in a tiebreaker, mm-hmm. which is the the point. Yeah, because... Because the point, yeah. yeah. Right. As I'm picking I think, up what you put in Yeah, there. yeah. In the return fixture, Union need to give themselves a chance to get a result. They level it up late at 1-1, but VAR cruelly intervenes. Offside uh, in the buildup, their title hopes are over. Yeah, Behind three points without the tie break. Um, and that's the that's it for the title. They lose the title to Bruga, who were just the better side at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But And they were so close to tasting their first title since 35. Uh, um, but more about the playoff format. First place qualifies automatically for a Champions League group stage spot at mm-hmm. this point in time. The Belgian League has... It's been pretty solid. Yeah, it has a good... What's the word? Coefficient. Coefficient. Mm-hmm. So that puts Brugge straight into the groups, which we saw. Yeah. They made it out of their group. Second place puts you into third, the third qualifying round of the Champions League. So Union still need to see out uh, second place. The season isn't over. Yeah. So they can do that with a result against... Who else? Anderlecht. They beat them fourth time. Let's go. Ceiling second, quite the achievement. Um, and another brief aside before we continue <laughs> with St. Joe's <laughs> last very eventful last two years. So third place in the championship group gets placed into the conference league final qualifying round. Okay. So that's how we covered Anderlecht this season mm-hmm. because Anderlecht ended up in the conference league group. Yes. Yeah. Through that path. Uh, fourth place is not guaranteed Europe in the championship group. Instead, they have to play a one-off playoff match against the winners of a separate group. The relegation is, group, right? No, no, no. Oh, which is no. five through eight, which is the, okay. now called the Conference League qualifying group. Okay. So basically, those teams play for seeding. The one who finishes fifth and the highest of mm-hmm. those four they get to plays go. fourth place from the championship group. But, but... <laughs> I'm not even going to get into the relegation stuff. You can oh, go look yeah. that up on your own. <laughs> so the Belgian Cup also plays a part. This is a quote from a Total Football Analysis article. Quote, the Belgian Cup also plays a part in determining European qualification as well. With Ghent beating Anderlecht in the final that had just occurred in the Cup. This is now what happens. Since Ghent were victorious, it means they are guaranteed a spot in the Europa, UEFA Europa League group stage. Yes, for winning proper. the Cup. Yeah. Right. This means if they win the Euro- European playoff, which they did, also, there will be no more match to determine the last European spot. That place will go to whoever finishes fourth in the championship playoff round. If they weren't to win it, that match would still occur. <laughs> so Ghent okay. finished top of the group, so that scenario occurred. Uh, um, okay. So Antwerp doesn't have to play a playoff. They went straight into European qualifying, second round qualifying in the conference league. Okay. And they didn't make they don't think they made a group. Oh, um right? Antwerp? Yeah. Did they? Let me. I don't believe so. I don't. Re- I don't call them big in the groups. Yeah, I don't. Either. If you got it, no, no, me neither. <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense. I'm pretty sure they lost. Like, I'm pretty sure they had one of the more embarrassing results, right? They must have, because we um, would have covered them otherwise. Yeah. Oh, it was Bishakshi here. Oh, that's, that's not embarrassing. Draw. Yeah, a tough draw. Yeah. So anyway, fuck oh, it. it was. Uh, they drew Drita from like Malta or something. Mm. And that's, that's why I remember them having uh-huh. a shocking result. So they went off. Yeah. They went on the last qualifying round. Yeah. Oh yeah. But they okay. got through three to two. Yeah, in yeah. the second leg. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's so confusing. It yeah. doesn't have, I don't think it has to be as confusing as it is. I don't know why. They yeah. It's 34 it. games. You could just end yeah. it. So or, oddly, still do play. you could do yeah. playoffs if you want, but it doesn't yeah. need to, it doesn't need to be that consequential. Be, yeah. The funny thing is that Bruga, um, is that going to change? Have his... been because Bruga have been the strongest team in the league. Mm-hmm. recently in recent years they were the biggest complainers apparently about this system okay and then they it ended up benefiting because it got them and got them the title last year yeah. it definitely um, seems to lead to exciting endings though like there's lots of important games at the end of the year it's true. That's, relegation like, that's probably what they're Europe, going for and, yeah 
because well, other leagues that are better, like theoretically better, right? So like the Portuguese league or the Dutch league. Yeah. Right? But they could be decided by March. So if you're like, you know, ah, uh, you know, I just want some football and yeah. you know, the big forward leagues, they're all decided. What's further down? Belgium currently ranked eighth yeah, pretty coefficient. Good. So like pretty solid league. You know, you're going to get a yeah. lot of talent in the games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it still means something, I guess it gets more eyes on the screen. So. All that said, it's by far the most confusing league set up in, the, in, oh, in Europe. Easily. Um, but all hey. that to say, St. Gilles went from second tier to second place in one season. Mm-hmm. Um, second, first place in the second tier to second place in the first tier. Yeah. Uh, back to back seasons. Not bad. And guess what? They're currently second again right now. Wow. Good for that. More than halfway through the season at the time of recording, they are 11 points clear of fifth, which is the cutoff for that championship group. Um, and I think seven points behind Gank. Okay. Um, again, that's the time of recording, which is, january 10th so it's going to change when they play their next fixture on thursday which is before this is released but yeah for for the sake of um for the sake of it um so since the end of last season what followed is complicated (laughs) here's another quote from ed malin's piece anderlecht parted with vincent company who ended up at Burnley. Yeah. He was their manager. I cannot. Okay. This is a slight aside, but uh-huh. I thought company was terrible at Anderlecht. He didn't have a great and he's run. doing a really good job with Burnley. Yeah. I'm you'd, very... And you'd you say, know, you'd say he was doing bad, but think of where they are in the league right That's now. That's true. So maybe he's actually doing a <laughs> really, really great job. Right now. Um, so they parted away with company. They then stunned Union St. Joas by hiring their coach, <gasps> Mazu. No. A coach whose hard-running 3-5-2 style have been derided by Anderlecht supporters who usually expect champagne football. Mazu, meanwhile, had spent most of the season telling his players that Anderlecht were soft. You know, it's not champagne football unless it comes from the Champagne region. (laughs) Yeah, he'd spend the whole year telling his players Anderlecht were soft. Mm -hmm. However, he bounced anyway, and now Anderlecht are in 11. So how did that go? Not Uh, right. Lovruga came knocking for midfield Nielsen, Mm -hmm. who left for 7.5 million euro. Okay, hard to hold that against him. Mm Mm-hmm. Undav finally completed his move to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Union promoted assistant manager uh, Carol Gerrits, banking on continuity. Okay. Since arri- signings arrived in the usual mold for Union, powered by data, unrecognizable to most football fans, Dennis Eckard Ayensa and Gustav Nilsson from the German third tier, Ross Sykes from Akron Stanley, Victor Boone from the Belgian second division, and Simon and Dingra on loan from Brighton, mm-hmm. end quote. So this is the new norm for USG, though. You wait, know? wait, was Dennis Eckert in the th- Tri-Bundesliga? The... Dennis Eckert at Yensa? Yeah. Yeah? He was all the way to Jesus. I realized that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I don't remember what club, man. Uh, Ingolstadt. Ingolstadt, sure. Yeah. That sounds like one of them. Because he's been pretty good. Like, yeah. that's why I was... But... Uh, I mean, he hasn't played much, but... It's just confusing. It's, it sounds like for most clubs, that'd be a hectic thing. For them, it's just going to be their new normal, I think. Yeah. Like, they have managers and players poached. They replace them. It's the same thing at Brighton, but at a much, like, smaller mm-hmm. scale. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. However, Fire. at this scale, they can compete for championships. Yeah. Um. So... Are you saying Brighton can't win the Premier League? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> So, um, in their first European performance mm-hmm. or experience since the 60s, um, they went straight into the Champions League qualifying, as I mentioned. Um, they beat Rangers 2-0 in, in Belgium in the first leg of qualifying um, through goals from Captain Teddy Tuma, Woo. a pod favorite, yeah. and Dante Van Zier from the penalty spot. The other striker, um, opposite Undav, who had a really good season last year, he stayed having another really good season. Nice. What a result against the almost Europa League champions from months before. However, they then fell to the magic of Ibrox, losing 3-0 in Scotland. They crash into the Europa groups. There they're drawn, as I mentioned. Group D, Melmi, Braga, and Union Berlin. Tough group, no doubt, mm-hmm. we thought. Yeah. Um, but all they do is casually win it by waltzing into East Berlin in the first match day, take all three points. It's not an aberration. 13 points, a point ahead of second place Berlin, um, who, if you recall, listeners, lost 1-0 in the first two match days, mm-hmm. then won 1-0 on the f- last four match days. St. <laughs> oh, Joe scored the most in the group, 11, had the best goal difference in the group, plus four. 
And I think they'd pass the eye test. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. They look like the best team in the group. Yeah. And they, you know, play a not terrible, boring style of football, which know. the rest of that group kind of did. did. Yeah. So, so it's really fun. Again, as I mentioned, group winners, they bypass the playoff round. And then yeah. we'll rate the round of 16 draw in March. We should which, say or the, I should say really quick, the draw happens. No, you go first. Okay. I was going to say I just pulled up our predictions. From the groups because I was like I don't remember if I picked them third or fourth I know I definitely did not have them advancing we both had them third nice so we thought they'd be a conference league team yeah and here we are they stayed up they yeah topped it very very it. impressive yeah they get to they 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 bypass that playoff round like I said and mm-hmm. so I, I you know I would not sure either of us would necessarily back them for a deep run given just like the huge names that are in the Europa League right now mm-hmm. like there are some wild like playoff round draws yeah um but you know they get the right result Maybe an upset here or there. Who's to say they can't win a tie or two? Make a run. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do like a Rangers last year, you know? Yeah, they show that they can beat, you know, teams from big countries too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, they just need the right draw. Like they yeah. beat Union Berlin, who are second right now in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Right. So they can compete with yeah, I think, you know, all those I think top they could, teams that I, I wouldn't want to. I think they could be a Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Berlin are in third, but are they did they drop right at the yeah, end think, of the first half? Yeah. Second. Okay. Just ahead of them. But so uh their fan group. Pivoting away from what's that sound? Doesn't matter. Pivoting away from um the competitions themselves. So their fans are known as the Union Boys with mm. BH boys. They're uh they're supporters. I don't know. They're supporters of anti-fascist ideals, David. Um, okay. so that's lovely. They're buddies with clubs RFC Liege and Circle Bruggen. Okay. Rivalries. Um, they are uh Historic rivalries with racing white daring de Molenbeek, <laughs> also known as RWDM. Okay. Um, that club began in 1951 as Standard Veteran, Veteran, mm-hmm. but they folded in 2015, and then they merged with the original RWDM club, which folded in 2002 to become the new RWDM. Got okay. it. Um. No, but <laughs> that club plays in the second tier now. Okay. Somehow this comes from their old rivalry with Daring Club Br- Club Brussels, which is an old historic club like okay. St. Joe was. Heard those guys are really brave. There's actually a 30s a, a play from the 30s. It's a comedic play about a rivalry of families who support Union and Daring Club. Mm-hmm. So it's like a Romeo and Juliet parody, basically. Yeah. So it's a historic fixture. But obviously, they both have issues financially on the pitch. They were sort of absent for a long time. So I don't think it's particularly fearsome these days. I think it's more like a bit friendly or love-hate sibling sort of thing. I'd say most likely their biggest rivals now are Anderlecht, who, again, local Brussels, border them in neighborhoods, in municipalities. Anderlecht are the big boys of the city with all the historical claim, the fan base. Um, But... You know, they didn't actually play a single time between 79 and 2018. Mm. So they've had to build it back up. It helps now that USG are actually better than them for the first time in 50 years. And it's getting a little spicy again, especially after USG beat them four times last year, like we mentioned, and finished above them. They've also beaten them twice in two attempts this year, including last week, Mm. making it six in a row. They're right now, you want to know how many points ahead they are in the table of Anderlecht? Um, if I had to guess, I would say 11. 19. Wow. <laughs> 19 points ahead of them in the table at the time of recording. It's a big ouch for Anderlecht and the yeah. fan base. Um, a team we've covered on the pod this year a lot and talked about how shitty they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a bit of a mess and extra sweet for those USG supporters since that coach ditched them. Yeah. Um, some brief records. Is that coach still there at Underlecht? I don't got, know. I think he left. I think it's he Scott might have left or somebody like that. Oh my god! No, Scott Parker went to Brugge. Brugge just okay. this week. Yeah, I knew he went to Belgium. I was going to say, yeah, Scott Parker. I knew he went to strange, Belgium, so I thought maybe Underlecht were hiring. Really strange move. Um, basically, I, in terms of records and stats, I can't really find records from their heyday. Mm-hmm. You know, like the teens and the thirties and all that. Really, you can't. It's not really on transfer marks. I don't. I didn't really know where to look. I tried to dig around. Um, so instead, so we're going to go with modern history. Just mm-hmm. to be safe. Modern history, their current uh, striker, Dante Venzier, is their highest goal scorer. He has 47 goals in 89 matches. Um, that's good for better than 0.5 goals a match. Um, he just passed his former teammate, Denis Undav, the now Brighton player, 
who actually managed 45 goals in his short but impactful stint at the club. Mm. Only 70 appearances. Wow. Really good record. That is really good. Um, Captain Teddy Tuma leads the list of players that I can find in both appearances, 139, the time of recording, mm-hmm. minutes played, over 11,000. and a, a lot of minutes. 38. Wow. This season, Dante Van Zier has 11 goals in all competitions so far. Mm-hmm. That new arrival, Adingra, the, uh, the uh, which one is he, Simon Adingra? Oh. Okay. He's the Brighton one, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Loney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has 10 goals. Teddy Tuma has eight. Victor Boniface, an arrival for Photo Glimpse, who we've yeah. talked about also, yeah. had an impact in the in the Europa League so far. Yeah, I thought he was really good in the Europa League. Yeah, he has seven goals. Uh, Teddy Tuma also has 11 assists. Adingra has seven. Yeah. A lot of production um, high up in the midfield in the forward line. Mm-hmm. In terms of transfers, mentioned Victor Boniface. Appears to be their highest fee they've dished out for a player that I can find. Uh, he came in to fill that Undav void. Yeah. Whopping two million euro for him. <laughs> Highest fee I can find. That is such a Belgian version of Brighton transfer. <laughs> <laughs> they also shelled out 1.16 million for midfielder Cameron Puertas over the summer. Um, one of their uh, one of their key pass transfers, I spelled key K E E, was Tuma, of course. Yeah, they got him from a, a French club. What yeah. club? Could it? What club do you think? We play a little, um, a little guessing game. Shoot, oh, famous historic club. Uh... Red Star. Yes. Oh, I think I, <laughs> I, I think I probably just didn't do that. Like I'd probably, I really love Teddy Tuma. That was a, that was and, a, oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. 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 Red uh, Star FC, the pair, the Paris one. When I saw Red Star, I was like Red Star. And then I realized it was Paris. Yeah. Um, you know, he played four years in the French amateur division. I did not, but I would not that surprised. He in 18, 19, I think it must've been in like summer of 18 or something. He moved for 350 K. That ended up being pretty good. He's club captain. He now leads the team in minutes and assists and all that. Um, he's, maybe RS should have considered keeping him because they finished bottom of League Two the season. They they transferred. Oh, the season transferred. They transferred him. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they're in the third tier still. Yeah. Oh um, man, I I love me some Teddy Tuma. He's so creative with the ball. I mean, he's such a good. What a fan he was. That's what yeah. they do is just like dig up crazy. Yeah, exactly what like Brighton does, but on such a small like like nose to the ground scale yeah. it's kind I mean, of fun to watch actually and it's a fun level because it's not like so small that you're stuck doing it you know just in your area and looking for like amateur players right mm-hmm. you know like if a welsh team was doing it right they'd have to really scour mm-hmm. the amateur levels right around them but they have they're big enough that they have to go outside of belgium mm-hmm. right because they can't afford but they're small enough because they can't afford the biggest belgian towns like noah lang is never going to transfer right to a team like uh royal saint right um and so, like, they have to go out and find these players from other countries that third are third tier Germany, second, third tier France. Yeah, they're just undervalued, really creative, misutilized yeah. at their current club. And it's got to take so much effort and mm-hmm. scouting to dig through all that and analytics. And and uh, they also have this this great pathway and avenue for Brighton, Lo- young Brighton Lonies mm-hmm. who can come in and star in the Belgian division. For instance, uh, Caro Mitima was mm-hmm. on St. Joao's last season. Oh, I For the entirety of the year. He seemed to have a good year. He's been really impressive back in England so far yeah. this year. Good World Cup. Um, so should we and be yeah, they buying... picked up Undov in 2021 from the from a third-tier German side on a free. Should we be <laughs> di- buying a Dringa stock then? Yes. Or like, okay. <laughs> when he goes back to the prep. Definitely. Um, yeah, so yeah, Undov was a free transfer from the third tier. So they're good at this. Oh, and like Christian Burgess came from Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like older and wasn't doing great at Portsmouth last year. I remember in League One. Yeah, who's the one they, he's they got the guy so from? He's so good. Accrington Stanley guy in the Oh, in yeah, Ross, Ross Sykes. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, it's just such... Burgess has gone onto the European stage mm-hmm. and been one of the best players in a group with Braga and Union Berlin, mm-hmm. right? Like, those are two clubs in top five leagues, top six leagues, mm-hmm. I guess, sorry. Um, and like, so he's clearly good enough to be a better than a league one player. And yeah, it'd be interesting if more, if more European players who are playing in these big nation systems and like can't crack mm-hmm. like the top tier, top two tiers, seems like a good option maybe to explore th- like a league like Belgium that yeah. has some talent, but mm-hmm. isn't, you know, but, but anywhere you can actually get game time at a, at a, at a higher level yeah. um, than, you know, fourth tier England. Especially in England, I think that's a thing that that players yeah. get don't they really want, they don't leave. want to leave the, yeah. the the UK. So they and then yeah. they end up not having opportunities to really like move up the pyramid. I mean, 
you know, we've talked a little bit about same with not, managers too. Yeah, not us personally, but like right. the media has been talking a lot about. Oh, Italy's not producing any youth talent, right? And it's because the same thing, right? The players get stuck. They can't break into the biggest teams and they just sit there or they go to small teams that are playing in the third division, mm. right? But now you have all these guys are leaving Italy and go getting time in like Switzerland and Belgium. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's been great. So, so many other national team players. I think it's the same thing with managers too, really like especially in England where, you know, like so many internationals mm -hmm. managers populate the top two tiers. Yeah. So it can be hard for two people to crack through. Someone like Grant Potter goes to Norway, Ostersund, mm -hmm. comes back is worthy of you know a permanent league job according to brighton like yeah. there are pathways that i think are and creative pathways people can take that for, are staying in your country for england in particular for the managers i do yeah. also think it's important to leave the island because you'd get less like you know this third tier in england is less likely to play a friendly against a foreign team than the third tier in yeah. like switzerland because sure. there's more people mm -hmm. on the more island exposure. there's you know yeah it's just like you're less likely to want to travel and fly overseas and just take a bus and so it's easy to not get those ideas Right. And then, like, I'm sure Burgess and Sykes mm -hmm. going to Belgium, they've learned new things about football than they wouldn't have learned if they just stayed playing in the third tier mm -hmm. in their home country. And, you yeah. know, the same probably applies to Eckert out of Germany and like guys like that who, yeah. you know, leaving your country can really help you develop as a player or as a coach. Just because, yeah, sometimes sometimes it's hard to crack that Maltese top tier in Teddy Tumas case. Yeah. Well, you know, well and, to be fair, born yeah. in France. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of cool that he's, that he, represents malta yeah um, i love it He's... but in terms of outgoing transfers to circle back to that they obviously they made a big profit on undav but to their own other club mm -hmm. um they <laughs> sold both him and casper nielsen who went to Brugge, were around somewhere around seven million euro those are their like sort of joint record uh sales mm -hmm. obviously that's not probably going to last for long because with this new level of success they're experiencing I wouldn't expect, I would expect that sort of behavior to continue, you know, mm -hmm. the players they developed being poached for higher fees. So, um, tactically, um, I mentioned three, five, two, that was the, that was the system that now departed, uh, Felisa Mazu was a big part of constructing, um, this title contending formation. Um, so under him, they emphasized overloading wide areas, um, then either sort of crossing into the box or finding cutbacks because they have, you know, like really yeah. excellent strikers. Um, you want to come in? The dog's joining us. Oh, it was fun. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. How you doing? You were whining at the door? You a good boy. Are you a good boy? You going to shut up for the rest of this or do you want to hear about St. Joe's? You going to say hi to the, say hi to the microphone? Nope. I'm just going to sniff. I'm just going to barrel on then. Seriously, that's a, it's just a water bottle. Part. <laughs> um, so they emphasized overloading wide areas crossing to the box, finding cutbacks for their excellent strikers. Mm -hmm. um, this uh, this formation persisted through the season for the most part with some slight variations. Um, in the UEL, for instance, we've seen them dropping more into a slightly more defensive 5-3-2 um, or pushing Tuma or another midfield lane into a more advanced sort of 3-4-1-2 type of thing, more of a 10. Um, they scored a lot of goals in this style. This year, they've scored... Uh, 41, 19 league matches, second best behind leaders gank, more than two per, uh, two goals per match. That is, um, again, they scored 11 in their six group stage matches in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, they're also overperforming their XG by about eight goals right now. Their XG is about 33 in the league. And if you look in the build up patterns and attack, you find a lot of sort of triangles and diamonds on the flanks, mm -hmm. um, in wide areas. Those combinations in these pockets of of, of short like one two passing leads them into slipping balls in behind defensive <laughs> you never slip the ball through the defense david sorry uh, or you know switches a play to open space which is something we just saw city devour chelsea doing yeah. which is like you know little pockets of passes on one side big switch into space that does it again another switch slip in uh someone baseline cut back goal um they do also Favor and crosses because, you know, especially when they had Undov, but also with uh, Dante now, Van Zier, uh, one if they can get good 1v1 battles in the box, their strikers, they'll put in crosses. Boom. Um, on defense, they've conceded 23 times a season. That's good enough to be tied for fourth in the league. Um, there's slight teams are slightly performing their XG against um, of 20.4. So they may be slightly better than that record, but not dramatically different. Um, they're a little more porous in the Europa League 
conceding seven, but three of those came in a one wild, wild three, three draw at Braga. So yeah. maybe that was a bit of an outlier. God, that was such a fun game. Though. It was a fun game. Yeah. In defense, USG will drop that three, five, two into, you know, a five, three, two, obviously wing backs dropping deeper. Um, they tend not to press high, unlike their buddies over at Brighton. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, they stay compact, cut off passes into dangerous areas. Teams want to build centrally. The front two will try to shield off passes into that opposing pivot middle of the pitch. They want to overload wide like St. Joao's themselves do. A wide midfielder can step out with a wing back and the attacker on that side uh, to try to cut off that numerical advantage. Um, sort of classic defending in a unit on a string mm-hmm. sort of stuff you know yeah. um in transition it's not that complicated i don't think but it, they just do it well yeah in transition they'll be direct and vertical um and yeah attack fast lead style which again helped by their clinical front line um the tactics allow them a, a sort of flexibility depending on the opponent too they can dominate possession against the weaker belgian sides but they can also set off the ball a little more we okay. saw a couple times in the Europa League. Um, they can kind of adapt their system to the opponent, which is useful. Um, it is a little bit Potter-esque, actually, but without the high pressing. Um, so where can we see them next? Well, they play January 15th in the league against okay. Antwerp. Awesome. This comes out on Friday. That's Sunday. Okay. Um, if you want to watch them right away, you're so excited after this Do you know episode. who has the rights to the Belgian League? No. I think it's ESPN. I'm not sure, though. I have no idea. Okay. Um. If you're in Belgium, though, if you're in Belgium, I'm sure <laughs> go to it's the on game. TV. Uh, oh, yeah, even better. Yeah, so they they'll try to stay in touch within touching distance of Gank at the top. Mm-hmm. They just have to stay a stop for really to have a chance in that playoff round. Yeah, because of the halved points, um, they'll return in the Europa League, as I mentioned before, sixteenth uh, of March or no March 9th and sixteenth um, against a team to be determined. Mm, I love TBD. And of course, we'll be, here, we'll be here to cover that. Um, we'll find out who they play after the second leg of the playoff round, which is February 24th. Mm. Um, and then that reaction, or and then we'll release a reaction pod to the draw on the 27th of February, which will, of course, include more coverage on St. Joao's and an update on how their title run is going, how their title push is going. Yeah, that'll be fun. And that's Union St. Joao's of the Belgian first division. Really the fun. The Juniper Pro League. Yeah. Oh, God. Pro League A. Yeah. Mm. Belgian, not only do they have a weird format, they have a weird name, too. They do. Yeah. Uh, so were there any players that, like, stuck out to you as promising prospects other than Andringa? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Are they, like, an older team? No. Kind of not really. Vibe, I mean, but... they have, I feel like they usually buy from the last, the last couple of years are, of too much of a lot of note then i would they usually buy players who aren't they don't, they're not buying like teenagers mm-hmm. they're buying like 23 year olds okay 22 year olds you know yeah and the players brighton are learning over are like 21 to, or 20 or something like that or maybe yeah. was a little bit older okay but yeah i think i feel like 20 to 25 is kind of their prime range yeah. they do have players who in their late 20s did not see many 30 year olds on the roster okay so they do trend young but i think like the type of player they're finding the diamonds in the rough right now are more like like former youth players that didn't really cut it at a certain level Mm -hmm. end up in not an ideal situation for them at Mm -hmm. that point they're maybe in their early 20s yeah that's my guess for what they're Mm -hmm. like and then sell them like when they're right before their prime kind of thing okay i know boniface is relatively young i think he's what 21 22 something like that i'd say that's Um, probably and i i think he looks really good he reminds like Great job. Great player if you want somebody to, like, play alongside a scoring striker. I feel like he needs to be in a two if you're going to play him at striker. Like, he's, he's yeah. yeah. It's not a great goal scorer, but he just yeah. he adds a lot, I think, to an attack. And mm. really like him for progress. Um, Tuma, I love, but Tuma's, like, in his prime. So. Dr. Dante Vanzier is 24 also. So, yeah, okay. they're buying at about that same, like, 21, 22-year-old yeah. age. Because that also makes sense, too, for these types of clubs. Because then... They have one or two good seasons, and they're still young enough that teams will play it, pay a premium, mm. get them in, and you can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, makes yeah, sense I wouldn't be surprised. I think both Van Zier and uh, Boniface could be. They're not worth much now, but they could be. They could be like a ten million dollar player at some point in the future. You'd think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Nice. 
Well, that was interesting. What a fun though? little. I think 29. 29? Okay. Yeah. I was, gonna, I was gonna guess 28. Yeah. But man, he was in the wilderness a while, Teddy. Yeah. Down in the reaches of French football. And mm. yeah. Anyway. What a, what a great bit of this. That has to be one of the best transfers yeah, in Belgian League history. Yeah, I know, right? Oh. Uh yeah. So he's that's good. They're good. They're gonna keep being good. Yeah. And it's they're gonna be really annoying for their Belgian rivals for a long time. Oh, I, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Until they can figure out how to be smart like them. Yeah, it just seems these like analytical approaches you know some some of these teams just have methods that they're clearly better than what yeah. their competitions were and it's with. actually I mean, it's kind of a stroke of genius to 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 go after a club like or a, a league like belgium mm-hmm. um yeah. I, I know they looked at like the netherlands and germany um they were close apparently to go, going to purchasing a dutch club but they they had some issues with the ultras, like they with some with like racism. It doesn't surprise me with Dutch ultras. Yeah, so they're uh, almost as bad as French or Italian or some like behavior that worried them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they went with uh, yeah. So the way, Belgian league's more. They I could think, actually win it playing this way. They would never win the Dutch league. Yeah, you know. Yeah, outside of the, I mean, big it would take leagues, a while. Right, like to, the Premier League's obviously super competitive. Serie yeah. A right now is as well, but outside of those two leagues, the Belgian league is one of the most historically competitive yeah i feel like there isn't there isn't the ajax or the right belgium or That's the useful. victory in portugal which kind of yeah. prevents smaller teams from and the level up. is meant that in four years they can go from second tier to title contender yeah so again what they want it's a perfect level for brighton lonies to go mm-hmm. even though they claim they're not connected whatsoever <laughs> yeah they, they're def- they fucking, definitely are bullshit yeah even brentford and mitchell and don't which, pretend uh, that they're not man, i was so prepared to love Unicentral was after this presentation, yeah. but my semi palace, like my soft palace support within They're England fun. means I can't like Brighton. Yeah. Well, so. Tony Bloom is is a Brighton kid, so yeah, you can't well, blame him well, too much yeah, for buying his own club. Yeah, you it's can. His boyhood club. Um. Anyway, that's Union Saint Gilles. Um. Stay tuned. In two weeks, we're gonna have another one of these coming out. Yeah. David is gonna be tackling Carabag. Yeah, which will be you know super super lighthearted, and we definitely yeah, no politics for talk sure. about politics. No geopolitics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until no then, no one's gonna mention hate crimes. Until then, cheers to the Belgian gaffer. Cheers to the gaffer. <laughs> <laughs>